What do you struggle most with? The do not do list? You know what that is. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not have lust. Do not have jealousy. Don't do wrong. Do you struggle more with the do not do list or do you struggle more with the do list? What's the do list? Be kind. Love your neighbor. Be filled with gentleness. Give. Be others oriented. So let me ask you again now that I've stated the question. What do you struggle more with? The do not do list or the do list? Well, we're in the Sermon in the Mount and we're living in Jesus' kingdom. That's the whole series theme behind it. How are we supposed to live if we are kingdom or we're in Jesus' kingdom? We know we can't live like the world, so how do we live? And Jesus goes on this mountain, and there's a crowd there, and he starts off with the Beatitudes. We've gone through the Beatitudes. We've gone through the do not do list last week, remember? And Jesus actually said, you don't have to physically do it to be guilty. If you have anger in your heart, if you have lust in your heart, if you have all those things, because that's where it all starts, What's the real you? What is the real heart of you? And then does it spill out and how does it spill out? Now, in chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus is going to talk about the do list. So we covered the do not do list last week. We're going to cover the do list, but it's almost identical. It still has to do with matters of the heart. Because you can do the right things for the wrong reasons. Are you with me on that? You can be trying to get the praise of men, and so you're doing it for ulterior motives. You don't have any relationships like that, right? You have nobody in your life that's manipulative and ulterior motives, and what you see is what you get. And we all go, no, we know that. Now, Jesus is going to give a warning And then we're going to look at these three to-dos over the next three weeks, starting today. We're going to learn what he, the right reasons to give, the right reasons to pray, and the right reasons to fast. Basically, what is the heart's role in those three things? So I hope you have your Bibles open. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read the four verses and... Then we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty really quick. Beginning at verse 1, it says at the ESV, Beware, beware, be warned of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, as an example, he's saying, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in what? Secret. And your father who sees in secret will do what? 
He will repay you. He will reward you. So here's the very first fill in the blank, and we're going to spend a little time on this. Don't be a hypocrite. I just went to the internet and I grabbed off a definition, and here's the definition of a hypocrite. A person who pretends to have virtues, moral or religious beliefs, principles, etc., 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 that he or she does not actually possess inside their heart. They pretend, they pose, they manipulate, they show off, but whose actions belie their stated beliefs. So what you see is not who they are. I put it in my own words, a person whose talk doesn't match their walk, right? That's what a hypocrite is. Now, I found some slides on the internet. There's eight of them just to kind of round out this thought of a hypocrite because the world's version of a hypocrite is a little different than a biblical version. And I'll explain. So let's show the first slide. Hypocritical people only respect those who have power. I don't like this sincere people. I wish I could redo that and put righteous people. They're respectful to everyone, right? How about the next one? Hypocritical people criticize others to look better when compared. So what do we do at work? We pull other people down we, pull, we talk about our neighbors. We pull other people down. And when we pull other people down, what is supposedly happens? It elevates us. But righteous people, they just respect and value other people for who they are. Are you with me on that? Okay, what's the next one? Hypocritical people, they gossip all the time. I don't know if that's actually true. I think I could see that. But righteous people, they're going to be honest with you, Right? are going to be respectful enough of you to tell you not what you want to hear, but to actually tell you the truth. Sometimes we have to have come to Jesus meetings, don't we? And that's where we get people together and we lay everything out and we deal with the issue, we deal with the conflict so that there can be resolution and peace again. How about the next one? Hypocritical people, they help people if it's profitable to them. If they can get something out of the deal, you know, I'll scratch your back, Heather, if you scratch my back. But righteous people, not sincere, sincere just means without wax in the original language, but they selflessly perform good deeds. How about the next one? Hypocritical people always sing their own praises. You don't know anybody like that, right? <laughs> righteous people... Out of Corinthians for 13th, they don't boast. Righteous people don't boast about their accomplishments. How about the next one? Hypocritical people, they try so hard to impress others. But righteous people, you know what? I don't have to impress you because I'm good with who I am inside because I'm right this way. And I don't get my validation from you. If I got my validation from you, you would be receiving presents every week. Right? Because I'm trying to buy your affection. How about the next one? Hypocritical people, they talk a lot, but they don't actually do anything. Righteous people, they always keep their promises. Last one. 
Hypocritical people, they try so hard to get attention. Righteous people, we're not the center of the universe. And we all said what? Amen. We're not the center of the universe. And I, I, I have to bring this up because the world has labeled Christians as hypocrites. How many of you have invited people or talked to people about coming to church and you know what they say? I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Uh, there's a news flash. Truth is, pretending and posing on the outside of who you are different on the inside has been happening since Adam and Eve. The whole world is hypocritical because that's part of our fallen nature. That's part of our sinful nature. Now, when we become a follower of Jesus, yes, we're hypocrites because we're not perfect, are we? But as we walk with Jesus, what happens? He begins changing us. He begins turning us into that new creation. We're becoming a new husband, a new mom, a new child of God. We are growing. We are spiritually emerging out of a cocoon, and hopefully we're being less of a hypocrite, right? Didn't Judas betray Jesus with a kiss? Is that a little hypocritical? That he kisses someone to seal their death? How about Benedict Arnold? Did he betray the United States? Yes, was he, he was a hypocrite. From celebrities to politicians to school teachers to even pastors, we all want to be accepted to the point that we have more in common with this a chameleon than we admit, right? What can chameleons do? They can blend into their surroundings, right? Peer pressure, political correctness, the incredible urge to be valued and praised and accepted causes us to wear masks depending on the audience we're trying to impress. Are you with me on that? Let's go back to our point. Don't be a hypocrite. God doesn't want hypocrites. He wants children, doesn't he? He wants children. He doesn't want people to pretend to be his child. He actually expects you to be his child. He wants real followers. People who invite Jesus in, and pretty soon you're confident enough in who you are that you start lowering the mask. So that happens in marriages, doesn't it? You know, you go through the honeymoon phase, and pretty soon you find out that your spouse isn't perfect, except for Tammy, right? Uh, but we, we, start, we start dropping our mask and we start saying, this is the real me. And we start letting people enter into our heart. And then we have to say, does the person inside me match who is displayed in public, displayed in the home? I have heard of kids call, talk to me and say, my dad is different on Sunday morning than he is on Monday morning. Can I believe that? Yes, because 
there are hypocrites, and we're all been hypocrites. Jesus wants no mask. In fact, it says in Amos, that's a book in the Old Testament, God is saying, I can't stand when you guys do church because you come and do all this religious stuff, but your heart is far from me. You really don't want to be in church. You're there for a different reason. Yes, some Christians are hypocrites. All right, let me say it this way. Christians are are hypocrites. Are you okay with me saying that? You guys are like, no, I don't know if I'm comfortable with you calling me a hypocrite. But you know, here's the good news. Some of you are hypocrites for just an hour or two. Some are hypocrites for a day or two. Some are hypocrites for several years. But God is always changing us from being a child of the world to a child of the kingdom. So he's always working on us. And so that's why we can be honest. And we're like, yes, I don't, I'm not there yet. I press on. And then, and this is where it gets bad, bad for the reputation of the church. There are some people out there that claim to be a Christ follower. They've never been born again. So the world points at them and says, well, look at them. I mean, I hate to say it, but every week it seems like a pastor fails in in some moral failing, right? Is that good for the church? No. Was he hypocritical? Yes, but we've all been hypocrites. I, I want you to understand that. Your neighbor's a hypocrite. Every politician I know is a hypocrite. We are hypocrites by our sinful nature. What changes it is when we introduce Jesus into our life. And then he starts changing us. Now, sometimes the world calls Christians hypocrites because we live by a different standard. Am I right? We live by the truth of the Word of God. And the world feels uncomfortable when we try to attain. Have we attained perfection? No, but we're shooting for it, aren't we? We're trying to get there. And yes, we have failings. But what really makes them uncomfortable that wants to point the finger at us for being hypocrites is our standard makes them uncomfortable. They don't like Jesus' morality. You know, I read a blog this week that said Jesus is the king of hypocrites. (laughs) I was shocked by it. I'm like, what? Yeah, because he says he's the only way. What a hypocrite. Well, like, you don't even understand what the word means if you're using it in that context. But just because Jesus has a different standard than your standard, you can't call another person a hypocrite, or you shouldn't. The Bible says marriage is between what? One man and one woman. Well, you're a hypocrite. You say you love people, but you don't want that couple over there to be happy. No. There's a standard. So don't call me a hypocrite because I adhere to what Jesus teaches. You can call me a hypocrite if I fail miserably, but then I'm so thankful for grace. I'm so thankful for forgiveness. And God knows your heart and my heart that we are surrendering it to Him so that we can be changed in a different person. The Bible says that God created the male and female, but there's a whole generation out there that says, well, what a hypocrite. Wait, just because... I'm quoting that God says, no, you're a female and you're a male, and that's the end of the story. We don't get to choose our gender. Well, you're such a hypocrite. 
you don't want people to be happy. Yes, I do want people to be happy, but their happiness is not going to be found in a blender gender of, of identity. See, whenever the Bible sets as truth and the standard, it convicts men in their hearts, and they lash out against those who try to live by the standard. Raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. But raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're trying to live by the standard. Raise your hand. You are. You're trying to live like Jesus wants you to. I know you are. You're trying. Have you failed this week? Yes. Are you going to fail again next week? Yes. But what's happening? You're doing it less because you've given more of your heart away to Jesus. Now, when people lash out because of the standard, I mean, I think of poor Tim Tebow. Do you know who Tim Tebow is? Outspoken Christian. He gets slammed every time he does anything. Why? Oh, he's such a hypocrite. Wait, he's not a hypocrite because he's trying to live by another standard. How about the, the little girl from Full House, Cameron Candace? What is it? Candace Cameron. She's a Christian, and so she tries to speak, and yet they label her a hypocrite. Oh, Billy Graham. He's a hypocrite. Wait, what? No, you're just upset at the standard. And, but Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite. Now, there's a big difference between a Christian acknowledging, I have a problem with anger, or I have a problem with lust, I have a problem with jealousy, I have a problem with bitterness, I have a problem. It's one thing to say, I admit it, and I've given it over to Jesus, and I'm trying to have His strength to deal with it, versus just wearing a mask. You know, at Halloween, what you do as a little kid, you put on a mask, and you went out, and you pretended to be somebody you know, the word hypocrite itself means that you're an actor. It comes from the theater. It means that you are pretending to be somebody you're not. And, and so Jesus just wants us to say, I have flaws. Can you look up to heaven right now and tell God, I have flaws? Just do it. Please do it. I, I'm serious. I have flaws. Did that take him by surprise? No. Does he want to help you with your flaws? Yes. Why? Because you're his child. He wants you to change, to be like him. Jesus said this, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as he's talking to the Pharisees. You honor me with your lips, but your heart's far away from me. And then Jesus is going to give us an example. So go back to the text. Look at verse 2 says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, and needy means, you know, those things that, that people need. Money, food, clothing, sometimes emotional support, that you are being generous do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, it's hyperbole. That means you really aren't schizophrenic and you know the difference between what you're doing with your left hand and your right hand. But God is just saying, do it under the radar. Do it under the radar when you do something for other people. And so here's 
giving for the right reasons. And we'll go on to the very next fill in the blank. You give for the right reasons, Jesus says, not for the praise of others. It's interesting that this whole theater, there's a word in here that actually means to be seen by, referred back to the theater, that you're putting it on a show. Do you notice just a subtle thing in the text? Verse 2 says, when you give to the needy. Not if you give to the needy. When. Remember that, do you struggle with the do list or the do not do list? This is part of the do list. When you give to the needy. Don't do it for the praise of others. But here's the next fill in the blank. You do it for the joy of your heavenly father. You do it for the joy of your heavenly father. Remember that smile that's on his face? When he sees you, go be salt and light and kind and gentle and meet the needs of somebody. This big old smile burst out on his face. He's got your picture on his refrigerator. Because he's so proud of you. It, he just, it just fills him. Now Christians, we give. We give every week. About, that's what Paul wrote to the, the Corinthian church. Set aside every Sunday a little bit of money so that you can keep the kingdom going. We do that. But we're also supposed to be aware of our neighbor we have to, well, let me ask you a personal question you don't have to answer, but when you tip, are you a good tipper? If you go into a restaurant and you bow your head and you pray and the regular and that busboy and that cook knows you're a Christian, do you leave a dollar on the table? We have some relatives. Every time we go out to dinner... We pick up the tab, they'll pick up the tip. You turn around and you see the $1 bill for a table of, of six people. What do I do? What should I do? Let me ask you that. What should I do? What? You go back after the party's left the restaurant and throw some more on. Why? Because we're so generous. Do you know that waitress has to split that tip four different ways? And chances are she's making minimum wage because the tips... Actually, she's not even making minimum wage. She makes $3 and something an hour. And then her tips go up to minimum wage. And they have to split it. And there, there are people out there that are working hard. It says we are to give. Now, let's look at about this giving. I, I have seven or eight things to say that come out of Scripture. Let's go to the next slide, Heather. Giving from the heart is investing with God. Did you know that? Jesus, or Paul says this to the Corinthians, if you sow a little seed, how much crop are you going to get? If you sow sparingly, what are you going to reap? If you do one ear of, I mean one kernel of corn, what are you going to get? <laughs> You're going to get one ear of corn. But if you throw down a whole bunch, guess what God's going to do? He is going to multiply that. Now, this isn't 
the prosperity gospel, it is just investing with God because he doesn't say how the reward comes or when it comes, right? He just says, so bountifully, give bountifully. The next one, genuine giving is sacrificial. Remember when uh, David was bringing home the ark and uh, he tried to do it in his own fashion? He was using the new technology to do it and God just killed these guys and he was afraid and ran away for a few months. But while the ark stayed at this other guy's house, they were just prospering. So David comes back and... uh, he, he starts moving the ark again, and, and, but the bottom line happens is that he wants the ark to rest in a certain space, and the owner of the land says, David, you can have the land to build your temple here. And what does David say? He says, if it doesn't cost me anything, I really didn't give it to the Lord. Let me buy the land from you. He bought the land, and that's where the ark was going to stay, and that's where they eventually built the temple. The very temple is rooted in that story about David saying, I want to give and giving cost. Giving cost. Number C, giving doesn't depend on how much you have. It's a heart issue, not a physical issue. Have you ever heard of a guy named Jeff Bezos? B-E-Z-O-S? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Jeff Bezos. Have you ever heard of Amazon? He's the founder of Amazon. Do you know he was born in Albuquerque? He is 54 years old. He is worth, you don't even have to use a point because, you know, it's always worth 1.2 billion. He, his net worth is $147 billion. Let me put that in perspective. He could give every person living in Las Cruces a million dollars each. He could give out a hundred thousand million dollars. You get a million, you get a million. Everybody in this room gets a million. Everybody in your neighborhood gets a million. Everybody in Las Cruces gets a million. And he'd still have 43 billion left. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Now, if he gives out of his wealth, he could give a dollar to everybody. But if he gave according to his wealth, it would be a whole lot more, right? Are you with me on that? So, think of it this way. Giving is a heart issue and not a physical issue. A person who is not generous when they only have three pennies in their pocket isn't going to be generous when they have $147 billion in their pocket. Are you with me on that? And so, it's because it's not a physical thing. What about the little boy who brought a lunch when he went out to hear Jesus? He had how many loaves? How many f- sardines? And what did Jesus do with the physical small amount he had? He fed five thousand men, let alone the women and the children. So you cannot say, well, I can't give because I don't have anything. No, you have something to give. You have something to give. How about D? Giving is connected to 
to maturity, and you can write in there faith as well. Giving is connected to maturity and faith. Scripture says, you who are faithful with little things, God is going to entrust you to the real important things. If you can't handle money, He's not going to give you responsibility to handle the big stuff, the heavy stuff. You know, Jesus taught more on money than any other subject in the world because money is so much is where our heart is tied to because we understand the power of money. And giving is connected to maturity and to faith. E, giving is determined by what you purpose in your heart. Let's go on to E. E is, is connected or is determined by what you purposed in your heart. If you have your, I'll I'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says this, let each one do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Giving from a heart that's full of love is not about quotas or a have to. I want to just mess with you for a second. Can I do that? I'm not talking about giving, you know, officially in an offering plate. But you ever have you ever bought a bag of groceries for a single parent that was struggling? Did you ever show have you ever gone to the store and you're buying things knowing that you're not going to consume them because you have a giving, generous heart, and you know the guy down the street lost his job. And you're going to give a bag of groceries on the step. That's the kind of giving that we're talking about that is others-oriented. It's not the official, oh, I'm giving to the church so that all... This is about, are you permeating the culture, permeating your workplace, permeating every place that you go with a generous spirit that you give? Are you the one that brings donuts to work? Are you the one that always eats the donuts that the other guy brings in? Are you with me on that? You know, so it's, it's like... Giving is to be determined by what God has placed in your heart, and that's why there's no guilt. Isn't that amazing? God's not guilting you to do anything. He is prompting you through His Holy Spirit. I want you to be like me. I'm generous. I want you to be generous. This week, I would ask you to be on your radar, and you be looking for someone in your life that needs something. And that you would then supply that need. And you're going to do it not for the fanfare, not for the praise, not for the glory, not for any of that. But you want to do it because you know your Heavenly Father is going to break out with a big grin. There are no strings attached. And it's what you purposed in your heart. Just purpose what's your heart. Let's go on to the next one. Giving is done in response to needs. Remember the early Christians, they sold everything that they had in Jerusalem? What happens when you sell everything you have and share with everything? After a while, you have nothing, right? Famine comes. The saints in Jerusalem are starving to death. What does Paul say to the church at Galatia? He says, why don't you send them a little money? They're starving to death. And guess what the churches did? Because of a need that they saw... 
or heard about, they kick their giving into action. Wow. Now, let me just say this as a caveat. There are people out there that are charlatans. There are people out there that are lazy. And Scripture says, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. It is not your responsibility to take care of every person that is trying to get a free ride. Okay? So there's not guilt. And that's why you're supposed to do according to the Holy Spirit. Am I supposed to help this person out on the corner? Because we've all been there, right? You pull up. You see the guy. He's holding his sign and says, I need money. I need food. And inside your heart goes, okay, what should I do, Lord? Is this a legitimate need or is this the same guy that is there every week and when you get to take there have been times where hey I'll take you to McDonald's and buy you a burger I don't want that I want cash you know what then you're not hungry I have no obligation to put food into your belly if I offer you a meal and you don't want that meal you want cash there was in our in the town that we used to have there was a guy that stood outside of Walmart panhandled and then when it was lunchtime he went over to the local restaurant ate a steak, and then got in a brand new car and drove away. And he did that week after week after week until the locals figured out he's just lazy. He is just a panhandler. So we are to give to those that are in need, but here's the kicker. It requires a relationship, doesn't it? If I know you, then I know that you're in need. And then the Holy Spirit can put it upon me to help you with that need. Wow. Okay. How's the next one? Giving demonstrates love. It just demonstrates love. Giving demonstrates love. Okay, I'm going to really go out on a limb here because there are some people that would be in the pulpit and would demand every person in here, if you don't give so much to the church, you're in trouble with God and all that. Do you know there's nowhere in the New Testament that says that Christians have to give a certain percentage? The old covenant was 10% and then you had to pay your taxes. And when you add up all the giving that you had to give as an Israelite, it worked about to be 33% because they had to run the government. But if you know, Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, the Old Testament was the minimum. What can we do? And that's why it's a heart issue. What are you capable of giving that the Holy Spirit is working? Because if he limited it to a certain percentage, it becomes legalistic, doesn't it? I've hit my quota. No, I don't care if Mitch and Victoria are about to lose their house. Too bad. I've hit my quota. I've given all that I'm required to give. That is a bad attitude of the heart, right? But if I say, wait, they're in trouble, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be just awesome that if we had to, we could put a new roof on somebody's house because that's what they needed? Because we all came together as children of God and got it accomplished. Or whatever we, we put our heart to because God laid it on our heart. Here's the last one. Giving demonstrates a dependence upon God for your own needs. Your own needs to be met. Instead of hoarding. When I was a young man and I was in ministry, I was just getting into ministry. I was teaching junior hires. I was teaching high schoolers. And I was invited over to an elder's house. And we're having dinner there. And he told me that he's never given a penny to the church. 
And I'm like, how in the world then are, are you a spiritual elder? <laughs> how in the world are you going to justify this? He said, oh, but when I die, I'm going to leave it a large portion to the church. I said, well, you, you know, I, I'm still, I still remember that moment when he said, I don't give a penny to God's kingdom or his work, and when I die, I'm going to leave it all. Now, he didn't even say leave it all. I'm going to leave a, a nice portion. And I thought, how blind are you? How blind that you have hoarded your entire life and you have made, and he became a wealthy man. He owned uh, those chicken rotisserie places, you know. He started putting them all up in Southern California. And he worked for IBM, so he got, back then in IBM, if you came up with an idea, they allowed you to be a part of the patent. So that invigorated their engineers to come up with new things because they were getting a piece of the action. And so he, he died a wealthy man. I really doubt if he gave anything to the work of the Lord. Now, how am I going to end this? In a good way. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give under the radar. Don't brag about it. Jesus living in you changes you from pretending and posing and being a hypocrite to become this person that is genuine and authentic. You know what the world responds to? Authenticity. We've said that many times here. It's part of our core values. When we are real and authentic, people know that and they're attracted to that. And so, yeah, we're all hypocrites. Can I just say stop it? Stop being a hypocrite. Continue to invite Jesus in. And then let's go back to the text. The very last part. It says, your Father will reward you. This is a, an, the end of it all. And we're going to talk about next week about how to pray. Which is, we're going to go over the Lord's Prayer. And we're, we're, because... Some people pray with flowery speech to impress others. But God doesn't want flowery speech, does He? He wants your heart. He wants your heart. So whether it's giving or praying or fasting, we're going to be real and authentic because that's what the world needs. And Jesus has promised to change you. Isn't that good?